0: Trudy Morgan Cole, and this is Shelf Esteem, the podcast where we sit around and talk about books. In the studio this week, I'm very privileged to have highly acclaimed novelist Michelle Butler Hallett, author of This Marlowe and Deluded Your Sailors, among others, and writer and storyteller Christine Hennebury. We are going to have a great time talking about books. It's just like Book Club, except you have to bring your own cake and drinks. We did have cake this week, so if you hear some fork clinking on plate kind of noises, that's what's going on, but we don't like chew into the microphone or anything. So I hope you enjoy the next 45 minutes or so of Book Talk with me, Christine, and Michelle. The question I always start people off with is, what have you read lately that you've really enjoyed? What's something you've read recently that's on your mind? Uh, One's a history book
1: uh, by forgotten his name. It's called Hell and Good Company, and it's an examination of uh, the, the subtitle is the Spanish Civil War and the world it made. And the approach he takes, it's almost like reading this great, this great sprawling novel because he's looking for the stories in the Spanish Civil War. He has a look at what Hemingway was up to, who he kind of sort of walks on and walks off. Right. Um, the uh, he, he, um, Bethune is there, and uh, mm-hmm. what what he was trying to do with uh, with mobile medical care, and uh, at, at the same time, um, Hemingway and Bethune are also showing themselves. As, as complex and nuanced human beings that you don't always want to bump into. I bet. <laughs> and that, that, that was fascinating, of course, the, the the brutality of the Spanish Civil War, which is, so, which is so much a really cynical rehearsal for the Second World War. It's, it's, it's
0: hard to take. Yeah. Really hard to read. I feel like the Spanish Civil War is one of those things you know, even as a person with a history degree who reads and writes historical fiction and teaches history, there's I feel like there's gaps in my knowledge Mm -hmm. there's like stuff I'd like to know more about and don't know, the Spanish Civil War is one of those, like I know, you know, rough outlines of Mm -hmm. it, but I guess because I've never read a book about it, and that's how I learn everything Well, Franco didn't die until 1975 and a lot of the
1: archives were kept sealed Mm -hmm. and people are just, uh, I don't think a lot uh, much has been translated into English yet Uh, George Orwell was, was there at at one point I, th- I think he was and KVD we were two days behind him and his wife they wanted to uh, to, to capture and kill them because wow. Orwell uh, he was still Blair at that point was uh, a member of um, POUM which was a the one communist organization that did not answer to Moscow Oh. And NKVD were in Spain at the time, fighting and liquidating these people. Wow! Yeah. So he, uh, he and he was aware of how much danger he was in. But one of his last observations he made while he was there was that there weren't enough people writing down what was happening. Uh-huh. And, the, the, and I think that is one of the reasons we, we've got a gap in our understanding about it.
0: Both history and historical fiction. I feel like a lot of times I read it to fill in those gaps. Like mm. I just finished uh, Madeline. I'm going to come out and admit I don't know how to pronounce the name of the woman who just won the Governor General and the Giller Award, Madeleine Tien mm-hmm. tin I'm not sure. No, well, somebody out there is going to know. Uh, but do not say we have nothing, which is about mm-hmm. the Chinese Cultural Revolution. And again, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I've heard of this as a thing that happened, but until I read a novel that was set in it I didn't have that sense of, of being there which uh-huh. a good book can give you yeah. that's something that I found very interesting about, uh, about the study of history because sometimes it can be extremely dry
1: yeah. but when somebody takes the when it's either through fiction mm-hmm. which you know, if you, if you can crack into it that way or or, or, or like this, this book Helen, Helen Good Company I just mentioned where he takes a storytelling approach
0: yeah. suddenly yeah. the players are, become much more human yes. and it's yeah. much easier to try to understand what's going on mm-hmm. it's really powerful oh, it's that human element that I think good both fiction and nonfiction gives us as opposed mm. to just, just the facts. What about you, Christine? What have you been reading lately? Uh, well, the
2: book that I read most recently that I enjoyed most thoroughly, I've been reading a lot of bits and pieces of books lately. Uh-huh. The one that I read from cover to cover, well, I guess screen to screen, because I read it <laughs> electronically, um, was Danielle Evans' Before You Suffer Your, Suffocate Your Own Fool Self. That's oh, that's a, a great, great title. title. I
0: love that title. <laughs> it's,
2: it's a quote from something else. What that something else is right now, I cannot remember, but it's... Um, it's a it's a series of short stories and it's uh it's black families and black girls growing up in th- these urban settings so something as far from me uh-huh. as you know as middle-aged white lady <laughs> as it's going to get and but yet she um got really to the to the heart of the people i've been reading a lot lately as i'm preparing a workshop about storytelling and i'm reading a lot about what you need to do to really tell a good story, you Uh need to get down to the heart of it because people use stories to rehearse for their lives, basically. This is this theory that they, you know, this is, you hear these, uh, these characters and you're like, well, what if I was a prince whose, uh, mother had been murdered and I had to avenge her death? <laughs> what if I was, and it's a way that, you know, you deal with, you pro, pre-process difficult situations uh-huh. this way. Ooh. Anyhow, but breaking it right down to the very heart of the story. What is this story really, really about? What can we connect to? She did, even though these characters are so far from my experiences, I recognized them and I recognized the, the emotes. I mean, obviously, I've got no experience with racism. I don't mean to dismiss that aspect of her writing, but I'm talking about as the connecting connecting me to these characters. She did it so powerfully that these girls standing on this subway, um, platform, waiting to get home after a night out, uh, uh, where, like, I was there standing with them, and it wasn't, it wasn't just that she had described it so well, it's that she, she connected me to the characters so much that I felt, uh, I don't know, it was, it was something beyond any other writing I've experienced. This her ability to bring you right there. Yeah. Um, this thing with the rehearsing, um, mm-hmm. uh, live, lives to live. Um, that came from Lisa crones Wired for Story.
0: Okay, I've or, heard you talk about that yes, book before. It's yeah.
2: One of the most powerful books on writing or storytelling that I have ever read. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and she's got a new uh, she's got a new one out now, though I can't for the life of me remember what it is. but it's basically don't spend two years outlining, let's get writing something along those lines,
1: you know like that kind of thing. So I'm slack jawed here because the the idea of uh, of stories as as rehearsing for our lives is just um, i'm I'm struggling with the structure of a novel I'm working on. And that's what I need mean for the second
0: part. Thank you. Thank you. That's what's
1: going on there, and I couldn't see it.
0: Awesome! awesome. Excellent! Oh, fantastic! Go, team. That is a neat concept, though. It's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's so it's it's so powerful. Anything else that uh, you said? Now you said the the one about the Spanish Civil War was one mm-hmm. that you had. So what what else, Michelle? Uh, the other I haven't been reading a
1: whole lot of fiction lately, uh, which is kind of ridiculous because I write fiction. <laughs> uh, but I did read a novel um, that uh, I've been able to get to for a while, and it's David Mitchell's Cloud Atlas. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> And what I loved about it was the structure mm-hmm. and the multiple voices and how it really wasn't that difficult if you just just hung on just long enough. It was it, it was almost an exercise in faith in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay, this M- Mitchell is leading me all these all these paths. I just I just have to see through and so rewarding. Yes. So very rewarding.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was that was. I read that several years ago. Yeah. But that's really the structure of that book is so interesting in the way it's almost Russian doll like, with mm-hmm. one story nested inside another. And it connects to, to what what's a point that both
1: of you, uh, both you and I have have, uh, have just been been dancing around mm-hmm. that idea of story causing bringing empathy. You know, the, mm-hmm. the way when, when you're looking at history through a story, it's sort uh-huh. of bang. It works. For you, yes. Or the, or the, the, the girls in that short story when you were on the subway platform. She, uh, the writer had, had had created that empathy. Yes, incredibly powerful. And Mitchell was able to do that through the multiple voices, through the very, the very structure of it. Yeah. Yeah. I really wow. admire that.
0: It's like it is. It's not an easy book. It's not one mm. that you start into and like, oh, this is going to be a nice, quick, easy read. It really, I found it, I find this true of uh, how many read have I read by David Mitchell. Two or maybe three. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like he's a really demanding writer. Like, mm-hmm. he expects a lot of you. you got to bring a lot to the to the table to, yeah. you know, even to pay attention to how all these... Is it six or seven stories? Okay, I think it's six. Alice. I have to check. Yeah, but they all have links with each other, but mm-hmm. the links are not immediately obvious. Yeah, it's... Uh, oh, it's delicious. It is a delicious book. Yeah. What about you, Christine? Anything else that you're reading lately that's good? Um... I've, like
2: I said, I've been reading lots of bits and pieces of things, although I have recently reread, um, Jane Yolen's Twelve Impossible Things Before Breakfast, which is another book of short stories. Oh, okay. And, um, it might just be called Twelve Impossible Things. I don't know I just went right on to breakfast. Okay, <laughs> Before breakfast is the um, inevitable thing that <laughs> Anyhow, then. and she's got, um, she, uh, I don't know if you've read any other Jane Yolen books. I have books. read no Jane Yolen. Okay, well, she, um, I also read her book Briar Rose last year which is a young adult book but she writes books she's a uh uh, how does a dinosaur eat his breakfast is a Jane Yolan book. And then there's also these, these short stories. So there's this huge range that uh-huh. she writes in. And she actually includes on her website what to do if you're a storyteller who wants to tell her book, her stories out loud. Oh, wow. So, um, and, you know, there's a way to contact her and whatnot. It's very generous. Yeah. Um, anyhow, so it just, in this book, she tells the story of Peter Pan from the other side, uh-huh. from, from another side. Um, from she, whose side? Who's uh, well, it's sort of uh, it's sort of complex to okay. describe, That's a, to uh, it would be a long it would be a long thing, okay. um, but she also oh. she tells the story of Three Billy Goats Gruff From the Perspective of the Bridge it's called The oh. Bridge's Lament. Oh, really? Cool. Yes, and um, and so she has, and there's a story about uh, a, a family in which dead people come back from the dead if Uh you don't do certain things and it's about the young girl trying to stop her mother coming back from the dead and there's another thing about uh uh, the alien there's a story about aliens and she just just she she runs the gamut and each story is so tellable Mm -hmm. and but also so interesting to read often it's hard when when people have written stories that Mm -hmm. they tell when you read it, it's not very interesting because it's missing the, the storytelling yeah, power. Yeah, the storytelling
0: yes. element that makes it Yeah, really. but
2: somehow she manages to make it very clear what elements to put into your story when you tell it, when you, you tell her work, but while still making it really interesting on the page. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, no, that's an interesting skill set to have. That's so. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So <coughs> anyhow, so that's a, it's really, it's really slim volume of stories, but well, I really liked it. So.
0: I really admire people who enjoy short stories because I struggle so much with short stories. Like, if an author I like comes out with a new book, and I'm like, oh, I'm so looking for it. And then it's like, it's their collection of short stories. And I'm just like, oh, well, I'm clearly not going to enjoy that. But I have enjoyed short stories and collections of short stories in the past. But I really struggle, I think, with... I don't know it's hard for me to get invested enough maybe that's it in something really short it seems like everybody else loves short
1: stories there's a problem I think here in Canada and probably in the US as well um, I think it seems it seems to be less so in Europe and Russia from what little I have read in translation I've got a very little um, so I really shouldn't even be spouting about this but it seems to me in Canada we look at the short story as a, as a novel in miniature
0: yeah, very different
1: forms they have very different demands and very different needs what they are I cannot fully articulate because I don't understand yet. I'm still figuring that out mm. um, but when you try to cram too much into a short story that should be a novel it's going to get confusing and when you um, or, or if it goes the opposite way you- they're not interchangeable, and I, mm, I, I think it's yeah. a profound mistake. And an, another prejudice we seem we seem to have here in Canada is that a writer, uh, a fiction writer, is not a real writer until they've done a novel. Yes. Alistair
0: MacLeod has written some of the finest short stories in the language. Yeah, yes. when you put out his
1: novel, that's when everybody went bananas.
0: That's right. And I do love Alistair MacLeod's short mm-hmm. stories. So, and those are short stories that I have loved. But and, yeah, and and
1: they're written by somebody who understands the form. Flannery yeah. O'Connor and and Anton Chekhov. They're not easy. I, I I find short stories far more difficult than a novel. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's I'm. I'm trying to
2: study short stories because I I write short stories uh-huh. and I um, but I'm not quite getting them right and uh-huh. I can tell that I'm not quite getting them right. There's some sort of space between the short story that's not about anything uh-huh. that seems to be so popular. Uh-huh. And I don't mean I don't mean that in a disparaging sort of way, but there's you can't pinpoint what there's no plot to it. Yeah. yeah. Somehow there's it's um, and then these ones that are and then and then and then and then mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. and there's a space to navigate in between and I and I'm still working in that space so I'm reading a lot of short stories to try and find that Mm -hmm. that space so yeah
0: I have written short stories but it never feels as it's been almost accidental like it Mm -hmm. never feels like the thing I'm supposed to be doing which I feel like is always writing a novel but they are very different they're very different forms Mm there what's one book that's had a big influence on you either of you think about that
1: I did. Um, when I was in grade eight, I stumbled on George Orwell's 1984 and I read it 20 times in one year. Wow. And I'm a big Orwell fan. I was particularly um, the older I get particularly more and more of his essays. Mm-hmm. Um, as a novel, I look at nineteen eighty four now and go, mm, okay, it's not as it's not as great a perhaps not as great a piece of fiction as I thought it was. A very important piece of fiction. Yeah. And far too relevant. I wish George Orwell was not relevant. I know. Yes. Right? Apparently
0: it's on the bestseller list so I'm moment. not surprised. And and so
1: it should be. We, yeah. we need to be reminded. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this 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 business of the insistence on fake news, all I could think of was Oceania is at war with East Asia. Oceania has always been at war with East Asia. Yes. Right? Yeah. Or, Orwell saw so many things coming. He was one of the first Western intellectuals of a, of a leftist bent who saw Stalin for what he was and said so. Yeah, okay. nobody believed him. Yeah. So um, there, there's a, there's a, a little bit of the Cassandra to Orwell that there there, there always has been, and I just. Uh, I was so horrified. I was 14. Right. I was so horrified by the ending. We we had this thing in school where we're supposed to, uh, to drop everything we were doing when a particular bell rang and read for 20 minutes.
0: Oh, a good I was,
1: plan. I loved it. In the middle of so, science class. Yeah. Throw the book down. <laughs> pick up a novel, right? Um, um, so I'm sitting there in French class, and this thing comes on. And we have to fit in. I've got like five pages left or something, and I'm just... I can feel my eyes are getting bigger and bigger. The tears are running oh. down my face at the ending, and... Uh, it's been a long time since I've been moved by the ending of a book the way I was moved by the ending for Winston Smith and Julia yeah so that and I wrote dystopic f- fiction for a long time I have had, uh, one novel in the basement when if it gets if we have a flood um, <laughs> civilization will lose nothing but, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was a dystopia and I, I wrote I wrote fiction in that mode for a long time because I I, I was trying to I, I was trying to articulate what it was I, th- I thought was going wrong in when mm-hmm. which whichever society and what was going right and was probably worth worth preserving. Mm-hmm. And the other the other big influence uh, that novel had on me was was clarity of prose. Yeah. Orwell's prose is it sparkles.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it is scary how much, you know, like I see people sharing quotes from 1984 as mm. memes on Facebook with, mm-hmm. you know, reference to things that are happening in the U.S. Yep. right now, like the uh, the banning of, of, you know, various news outlets from press conferences and, and trying to criminalize protests and that sort of thing. And it's, uh, I think you're right. It is, it you know, everybody should reread 1984. The, uh, when you
2: were making a point earlier that a lot of people weren't writing down stuff about the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of um, commentary lately that one of the ways to resist what's going on in the states right now is to write down to keep track of things that aren't normal by writing down the way things are and the way things were like this was when you notice the change, write it down. Mm-hmm. You say, "No, actually, they changed. The, they took out the word culture in the culture department." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. that's it's it's
1: not, not
0: just in not just it's in the just
1: U.S. In the but, well, that's Winston Smith's entire job in the novel. Is mm-hmm. He he works for the uh, the Ministry of Truth, and every now and then he gets uh, he keeps getting these old newspaper articles in, in, in his pneumatic tube, and he has to uh, to rewrite history.
0: Yeah, and, and this is this is terrifying. It's you know, the whole thing. I, me- I remember this. it's been unlike you. I did not reread 1984 20 times. I read it at about that same age, but just mm-hmm. once. Uh, so a lot of it is dimmer in my mind, but this whole thing around the meanings of words. Mm-hmm. And you know, we have just had this thing around the removing of the word culture from our Department of mm-hmm. Culture, and I was just listening on the radio this morning to an interview on Sunday morning with somebody who was talking about the removal of the word progressive from the federal progressive conservatives. Mm-hmm. And again, it comes down to this, you know, what's in a word? What does it matter if we call it progressive conservative or Department of Culture Tourism? But it does because it, you know, the it, doesn't have power. the conservative party changed after they stopped being progressive they conservatives. Totally and, and we could very easily change our attitude towards culture with the word culture not in the department. Then. The character
1: of sign is very um, in, in nineteen eighty four, one of the things he's proudest of with, with, with Newspeak, the language he's he's mm-hmm. working with, the dictionary. It's the only language where the vocabulary gets smaller every year. Oh. And that always made me think that a, of one of George Carlin's routines in which you know, you're actually rolling in the eyes laughing, but he's dead serious. Oh, yeah. The quality of our th- of our language controls the quality of our thought. If the words aren't there anymore, there are right. the ideas there. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Definitely. Sobering stuff. What about you, Christine? What's a book that you, that's had a big influence on you? Well, to, to take things a little bit in a different direction. <laughs> that's good. That's
2: good. <laughs> uh, well, actually, I, I sort of thought about two. I have a, a fiction and a nonfiction, but I'll just uh-huh. go with the fiction one for now. Um, about... 10 or 11 years ago I picked up this book and my, my husband and I were going on a trip just the two of us and I picked up this book to read that I just liked the, the design cover mm-hmm. it was by Kelly Armstrong it's an urban fantasy book I write urban fantasy so I read urban fantasy right. and um, it was called Dime Store Magic uh-huh, and I read this book, and suddenly I knew how to write what I wanted to write. Hmm. Oh wow, so she does this really, really great job of world building. She has created this um world of urban fantasy, which is another layer in our world. There are um vampires, there are werewolves. There were half demons wandering around us, uh, in, in with us, you know, they might be our bosses, they might be whatever, and most of the time you're not going to know, uh, Uh if something goes, you know, something goes wrong. Well, the werewolves are a little bit reclusive, but, um, one of them, one of them is a freelance writer, though, so, but, um, but this particular one was about a, a witch and a sorcerer, and witches and sorcerers can, can recognize each other. They, they look in each other, look each other in the eyes, and they can tell that they, but, other people wouldn't look in their eyes and say, anyhow, it just it opened that door for the type of thing I wanted to write. One of the things that I like to do is to make things that are implicit explicit mm. because there's an awful lot of things that are unsaid, rules that are unspoken. And people trip up in them all the time. Yes. And the people that I know a lot of anxious people Mm -hmm. and they can't navigate that space safely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I have one of my, made it one of my missions in life, even before I really knew about the anxiety thing. But, um, to be really clear about the rules in a situation. Okay, do this, do that, do this, do this. And so there's so much in our world that's unspoken and you're just supposed to know Mm -hmm. um, that I thought that the fact that there might be this whole other layer of people around Mm. us that we don't know, I thought that was a really interesting metaphor because you think you know people, but they've got all kinds of things going on with them. Um, And I thought that this, the way that she started to put together this world Really spoke to that. And she's got now 13 books in the series. The series is over now. She's got 13 books and it's all, there's still people, even though, you know, this one's the witch and this one, and the, uh-huh. the motivations are still the same. Yeah. And I just, it, uh, when I came to write my own book, at the time I thought I was writing about a, a woman who was able to sort demons like right. laundry, uh, which is what I, you know, so she could tell which ones were demons. But, uh, last year when I took a writing workshop with, um, uh, Joan Clark. Right. And she, the, one of the first things she had us do was write what she calls a circle. And you write about why you're the person to write this book. And you write about your character, but you don't write, you're not writing your story, you're writing about your story. Okay. Anyhow, and as I was writing along, I was like, oh, so she's not fighting demons. She's trying to make the world safe for her daughter. Mm. And then I realized that that's okay. I don't need to describe my book. The, the bad guys happen to be demons in my book. However, because that gives me more freedom. I'm not limited yes. to what, what is. And I think that's a big responsibility for people who write fantasy and urban fiction to create these worlds in which there can be something else. Just as Orwell did the, a, a terrible uh, version of it, but you can also write a good version yes, of it. Yeah. And this is a theme I keep coming back to, that there are there are other powers we can tap into. not, I don't literally believe in demons, although I have... By the characteristics of demons in my book, I think I've met some of them. But um, um, but I I think there's a lot to explore there with that idea. And that's yeah. where I, so she had a big influence on opening my eyes to what the things, to the worlds that I could create. And then when I layered on how to really connect it to our world after that workshop last winter, I uh, felt a lot stronger about, I didn't, didn't uh, feel so badly about saying that I write urban fantasy because that sounds a little bit... There's that meme of urban fantasy of the woman, the leather-clad woman who can, you know, kick ass and take names.
0: And, well, I like that meme. Um, at the same time, it's not, there's not a lot of depth in it all the time. Yeah, so. yeah. And there is a there is a tendency to discount fantasy and science fiction and urban fantasy mm-hmm. and, and all the genre fiction when, you know, I think it can... I mean, obviously, it's often, because there's so much of it, it's often very badly done. Yes. But it's also often very, very, very well done. And mm-hmm. Extremely well done. get at a lot of things... Metaphorically, that maybe more realistic fiction can. Mm-hmm. I just published an essay actually on all. That I, I read, read was, your essay and I was fascinated. Thank yeah. you.
1: Um, on that, because I, I wonder if we don't privilege realism as a narrative strategy in Canada that it's not we literary do. unless it's, it's it's realistic fiction.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Unless you're Margaret Atwood. <laughs> Margaret Atwood you can write what is she basically you can write dystopian sci-fi yep and it gets accepted as part of the canon but that's because she was established as the queen yes. of the literary canon first uh-huh. if Horace and Craig had been the first thing she came out with yep I don't think she would be the queen of the literary canon so no. I totally agree with what you said I think we do privilege realism and, uh, and Ronley you know? I, I, yep yeah. Yeah. I'm missing out one of you said you could think of a character in a book you identified with. Michelle, is that you? Uh, yeah, there were two I, I had in mind, um,
1: and it's uh, um, one is Meg in *A Wrinkle in Time*. Oh yeah, Meg yeah. is, uh, and I, I kind of wish I didn't identify with her as strongly as I do because. <laughs> Meg is headstrong and sometimes she's stupid and sometimes she's dense and sometimes she's very hurtful. Uh-huh. But her, um, um, when, when you're at the point in that novel where where, where people are, are receiving their gifts, there's, there's usually a point in, in a fantasy where, where that happens. Mm-hmm. You've, you've had a horrible battle. You, you pull back and somebody gives you a gift to, to, to carry on with. Yes. The gift yeah. she gets from Ed Beast is, your, is I give you your faults. Yes. And she flips. What do you mean my it? faults? Yes. But it's her faults which are her strengths. And yes. that's actually a very hopeful um, yeah. narrative mm-hmm. arc. And the other one, uh, also, which I also read when I was a child, is Harriet from Harriet the Spy.
2: Mm. Yeah, Harriet
1: is no Harriet wants to be a writer. Harriet uh-huh. is nosy. Harriet's parents are awful to her, <laughs> and of course, she's going through. She's um, she's 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 coming up in puberty. She's she's coming of age. Her her nanny is 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 going to be be leaving her. Worst of all, her notebook, which is full of very candid observations, gets found by her friends, and it'll, it blows up in her face. Yes. It's a social disaster yes. for her. And the kids who are angry with her are not always completely in the right. It's a very complex and nuanced novel, really. Mm-hmm. But what what Harriet's got to learn is is how she can't cannot be ruthless in her pursuit of fiction. That if she's hurting people along the way, she's really got to, she, she she does have to pull back.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a hard lesson. Yes, and that is so relevant for you know the adult who pursues a career as a writer so. of either fiction or nonfiction. Yeah, you know? um, yeah. How far can you go in being honest about? the world and the people around you and what happens when it when it starts to mm-hmm. hurt someone else yeah. i ate tomato sandwiches oh yeah ever
2: after because of that and carried i didn't carry things on my belt but i had a bag that i had my things
1: in i was but just right size for a notebook and i had my spy route in it was out in paradise
0: <laughs> it was pretty rural so i was going through a field and i, I had my spy route for a while yeah. yeah, I remember going through that phase as well when I read Harry and the Spy, I think probably. I still like a tomato sandwich though, do and know? I still have uh-huh. a bag with my stuff in it. I do still have a bag with my stuff. Yeah, I that's... did I never got on board the tomato sandwich train though. I have to say that one passed me by. <laughs> it's interesting that your characters that you identify and I'm sure this is true for for most people are from, you know, kids and young adult books yeah. because I think when we are Forming our identities, the books we read and the characters that we latch onto are so important at that stage. Christine, mm-hmm. I thought you were thinking of something for a favorite book as a child or teen.
2: Yes, well, um, that was uh, it was Anne of Green Gables. Of course, <laughs> that's it's. I don't often reread books. I know uh-huh. lots of people, and my husband and children re-watch episodes of TV shows over and over oh, again. Oh, yeah, my like, kids do that, too. Uh, but it, I don't do that in my mind. I don't know if this is a feature of having ADD or something, but I've checked it off. That's done.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: I don't go back to it mm-hmm. um, unless I'm looking for a particular piece of information. But I did reread Anna Green Gables over and over and over again. And um, I just... And I guess that's a character that I identify with yeah. because of that, but, but I guess it sort of ties into the last question. But... I just, I liked how uppity she was and that she was, and that she was just not having it. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's, and I didn't really feel like I had a lot of opportunity when I was a kid Mm -hmm. to not have it. You know, that's the (laughs) great. I was the oldest, um, uh, the oldest. I still am, (laughs) in fact. None of us has gone back in time or anything (laughs) and changed that. But, um, and I think that I just sort of really, um, that that book, I I really liked the characters and I liked the the situations and but I so strongly identified mm-hmm. with uh both Anne's connection and disconnection from yeah. everybody everybody else and that everyone else knew what she was supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and that kind of thing which she had her own way. And yeah. so that's I uh,
0: I'm just, I'm not sure if that that's character or book now, but it's quite well, segue, so there sure, we go. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me how many, you know, for women there are of these um, girls who don't fit the traditional mm-hmm. feminine like you know Anne of Green Gables Meg in A Wrinkle in Time Harriet the Spy Joe in Little Women you know mm-hmm. and then that so many women will say this character was a real beacon for me growing up of yep. a different way to be a girl mm-hmm. and, and to be a woman those characters are so important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah that's why the work we're doing is so important. Well, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's when I teach writing classes, I remind them, you're the only one who can say this this way. That's so right. you have to say it because you don't know who needs your message. Yes. So yeah. that's yeah. You know, so it doesn't matter that you're not getting it perfectly or that someone else has already written about a, an orphan girl going to live with a, an older co- an older uh, brother and sister. You know, you can write that same story, but with your slant, it's going to reach someone different. It would be
0: different. Yeah, yeah. and it would be a different story if someone else wrote it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean. Giving people, well, again, it comes back to the thing you said at the beginning about stories as a way of rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing yeah. our lives. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the stories you read when you're young, particularly, are they give you those patterns for how to rehearse different ways you might uh, you might live your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you could live in the world of a book, if there's one book that you could enter into the world of,
1: oh,
2: well, um, this is. Kind of, it's sort of a funny answer, but um, the first one that I thought of is that um, it's another urban fantasy book. Uh-huh. But it's uh, Jim C. Hines has this Libromancer series. I guess that's how you'd pronounce it. I've
0: heard of it. Yeah.
2: Um, anyhow, in that book, there are certain uh, trained people mm-hmm. um, that can reach into any book and take anything they need out of it. Oh, and they are helping to protect um you know literacy and the world by uh, against all kinds of bad guys by by fighting with like librarians are literally the first defense. These liberomancers are because they can reach into books and take out anything they need any weapon Love it. and That's anything great. like yeah. that. But one of the things that really I mean, I wouldn't want to be fighting the monsters they're fighting and that sort of stuff, but just this idea that you can literally connect with the book and Mm -hmm. take, you're not just taking something out of it, but you're literally taking something out of it, um But one of the things he does when he when he goes into battle, he carries books with him, so he'll have his weapons. Oh, so his whole arsenal there. Yeah, yeah, you know. And one of the one of the things he did in one of the battles, we carried a copy of Beauty and the Beast because of the Beast's library with all the books in the world. in it <laughs> oh, so And so he could reach book, in. Give, give yeah, he could reach to... in and take a book really. out of like. Yeah. Anyhow, so it just—I mean, you know, there's there's all kinds of things in the book that I wouldn't want, but just that idea of this this world in which. Um, the matter, of the understanding books and reading them and recognizing the powers of them is literally so important yes
0: yeah
2: it was um,
0: really appealing to me that so. is great yeah. that is neat yeah I think my problem with this question is that any fantasy novel that I've loved contains mm-hmm. worlds that are so richly detailed and gorgeous and magical that I'd love to live in but they're always populated by like beasts and villains and horrors that I don't actually want to fight you know? <laughs> yes yeah, I, yeah. I just—I just finished watching the TV adaptation, the first season of uh, Lev Grossman's *The Magicians*. Okay. I don't know if you guys either read the book no. or—it's. Um, uh, It's always billed as Harry Potter for adults or for young adults because the characters are college age, but they do get to go to a a magical university that they didn't know existed. But because they're young adults, there's also lots of drinking and drugs and sex and sort of a lot of real college age Mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, But the the central thing in that series is there's this series of books that the main character, which are very, very Narnia-like... Uh, the fillery books that so the main character has been obsessed with since he was a child, long before he found out he was a magician. And then when he finds out he was a magician, he also finds out that this world of books that he's loved is real. And eventually, by the end of the first book, he can get into it. But of course, when they get into it, it contains, you know, a horrible, horrible villain that they have to fight and it's actually terrifying. Mm-hmm. And to me, that kind of is, is the cautionary tale of why you would not actually want to live in the world of your favorite books. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's a... Uh... What about people from books? Anybody ever fallen in love with a character from a book? <laughs> yeah. Michelle, you laugh. <laughs>
1: um, I fall I had I could see myself falling very hard for Packet Terry in the novel called Lives of Short Duration by David Evans Richards. okay. Now I think Packet in real life would probably be very bad news. <laughs> and uh, the Hackett has to save himself. He's he he's on this very very long arc. He has uh-huh. to figure out who, who he is, what's actually very important to him, and along the way, he's drinking too much. He's 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 homeless for a while. He's mm-hmm. he's an absolute mess. And, um, but there's, there's also a point when, when, when he's a younger man, he's living in a treehouse and he has stolen a copy of Christopher Marlowe's collected plays from the library and he's (laughs) reading it. And that's where I fell forbes. Oh my gosh, (laughs) That's my boyfriend. That's it. That's
0: all. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I have a tendency to fall for the, uh, the the, hard, the the bad boy characters or the hard luck characters. Bar- There's a character in one of Ann Tyler's novels, Barnaby Gatlin, in A Patchwork Planet, who I just love. But then on the other side of things, I spent much of my adolescence and young adulthood in love with Lord Peter Whimsey from Dorothy Sayers' uh, Mysteries. And that's really setting your bar a bit too high for real life, as it turns <laughs> out. If the man you're waiting for is a brilliant, Wealthy English aristocrat who is fabulous with words and also solves mysteries, but has a teeny bit of PTSD left over from the First World War. It's probably going to take you a while to find someone in the real world <laughs> that matches. Agreed. Up agreed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fictional boyfriends are always, I think, either way too bad or way too good for real life. Well,
2: it's handy because you can put them
1: away, though, right? When they get too much trouble, you can yeah. just dispose
0: the bulk. Yeah. Put them back on the
1: shelf. Unlike yeah. real life people. Somebody asked me once if I'd fallen in love with Heathcliff in Wuthering Heights, and I just oh. stared at them. I was like, what? Oh, Heathcliff's a horrible person. But, I mean, I have enough tr- trouble when Jane actually takes Mr. Rochester. But if yes. Heathcliff, are you, yeah. if, if that, if that is not a love story. It is not a it romance. Is
0: not. It is not. It is a highly, highly dysfunctional relationship. It's a big, yeah. long family tragedy. It's a great novel. I love yes. it. But no, I am not in love with you know, Heathcliff. That is, that is no, it should be nobody's model for romance, and it's worrisome if it is. Uh-huh. You know. A lot of these, the sort of you know, heroes of the, of the classic novels, like, yeah, Mr. Rochester's pretty awful. Heathcliff's just... A psychopath. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Mr. Darcy is, you know, I mean, if you strip away him being played by Colin Firth or whatever.
1: He's pretty cold.
0: He's kind of a jerk, yeah, yeah, yeah and says some really nasty <laughs> things. I think with a lot of these um, classic novels so
2: that the entitlement of the male characters is overwhelming so it's a bit yes. a, yeah. You know like the, well they have the right to say whatever they want or do whatever they want because after all they're the men in the story so. right. and to be
1: fair to to Cheryl Bronte with Jane Eyre she broke enormous uh, incredible ground with having Jane stand up for herself. That's right. Refused yeah. to marry him yeah. when she when, when she found out um, that uh, he, that his wife was still alive and and she that was it she was seizing seizing her, her own future. Yes. And yeah. she chose to go back to him. Yeah. She was not bound him. Yeah. So that's that's enormous.
0: Yeah, and I think with all these, of course, you have to you have to look at them in the context of their yeah. times. And you know, these mm-hmm. these heroines who were as, as outspoken and as strong-willed as they were, uh, you know, yeah, in the context of that time, that's a big step forward anyway. But I think it's nice that now we can have, you know, some male heroes who are a little bit less dickish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Any other books that people want to talk about for whatever reason?
2: Well, I mentioned earlier that I read A Brighter Rose by oh, yeah. Jane Yolen last year. And, um, I guess because I'm a storyteller, I'm always very interested in versions of fairy tales and uh-huh. that sort of stuff. And, um, but this, um, uh, this book, which falls into the book that I'd like other people to read. Oh, yes. So yeah, that works so out quite well. I'm realizing as I'm talking, sometimes these things become reveal, are revealed to me. Uh, um, anyhow, uh, it is this woman, the main character is, I guess it depends on who you consider the main character. anyway, she, uh, the, the narrator, mm-hmm. uh, uh, her grandmother has always insisted that she is Briar Rose, that she slept for a hundred years and that she was and that she is Briar Rose. Oh wow! Um, anyhow, and but so, um, but her grandmother came here during the Second World War, right after the Second World War, mm-hmm. and had been. She knew that her, something had happened to her grandmother with the Nazis and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So she went to Europe to solve this mystery of how is her grandmother Briar Rose. And her grandmother is Briar Rose, but I'm not going to tell you the details specifically, but it it makes perfect sense within the context. And it's just, I thought it was a really, really interesting way of taking this old idea Uh and making it new. It was a, um, it was a story about, um, the Second World War that was, while there was a lot of sadness in it, wasn't, uh, uh, was more about a testament to her grandmother's character Uh and that sort of thing. I just, um, I really think that it would be a good, book for a lot of people, a lot of people to read. So that's I was reading it uh, on our writing retreat last year, and yes. I took a picture of Briar Rose in the middle of rose bushes. So that's the <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. I remember you reading it at that time, and yeah. saying saying what a great book it was. And it's not like I said, she's not an author I'm familiar with, except from hearing you talk about yeah. it. Yeah, uh, that does that sounds like such an intriguing premise.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a young adult novel, I guess. That's un- I find it hard to draw those lines now. It is,
0: it is, hard and that's and
2: and particularly since it's often used as a as a hammer to beat people into their little segment of. <laughs> yes, things, you know yeah. that's well. You don't have to take it seriously because it's a young
0: adult novel. Mm-hmm. It's not something I feel, no. but it seems to be out there. That feeling seems oh, to yeah. be out yeah. there. So I think there's some great writing being done under the you know the the umbrella of young adult fiction. Mm-hmm. What about you, Michelle? Do you have a book you would want to to you, you press on other people or you try to get them to read?
1: <laughs> um, a lot. <laughs> Um, Probably um, one I'm really I'm, I'm really fond of, and I, I I think has has a lot going on for uh, for storytelling and possibility and thinking about characters is actually the um, Homer's Odyssey. Which okay. I, I, know, I only know Richard Lattimore's translation. Mm-hmm. And um, because, because it's, it's, it's a big quest narrative and, and uh, all these things, th- all these obstacles, ODCs, encounters, what I'm really interested in is, is how, how, how Penelope is, is portrayed mm-hmm. and how she is, is never more than, um, than a possession Mm-hmm. And how even even though this is this is coming out of a culture where that's that's um, an un, I think pretty much an, un, an unquestioned truth, mm-hmm. the poem is still subversive enough that you're left going, well, hang on, what, what's Penelope think of all this? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's it's. I, I was surprised the, the last time I, I read it to find that, and the other one is Beowulf, which um, I just oh. Beowulf is such a gorgeous story about fighting d- different kinds of demons and mm-hmm. and fu- and also it's also about about old age and death mm-hmm. and what matters to you and how and how you, you look after other people and what you do when a disaster of course in this in this case it's Grendel yeah. is, uh, is 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 ravening your your community what what do you do about that mm-hmm. how, do, how do you stand up against evil mm-hmm.
0: which and,
1: also is kind of relevant now
0: <laughs> and always I guess I think it always yeah. will be no. yeah
1: and yeah. I, again, I only know that in translation, in um, Seamus Heaney's
0: translation, which is gorgeous. Uh, I love Seamus Heaney's poetry, so yeah. I can totally see why, yeah, how that translation would be beautiful. Um, since we're talking about classic literature, I want to ask you a question, because you've written a book about Christopher Marlowe, mm-hmm. and I'm a high school teacher. I teach Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I always raise with students the question of, you know, Shakespeare wasn't the only person writing at his time. Why do we read Shakespeare now, and we don't read Marlowe or mm-hmm. whoever else? What do you think is the answer to that question?
1: Bardolatry is part of it. <laughs> um. Barnolatry is the term for the unthinking worship of Shakespeare at the expense of everybody else. That Shakespeare, and of course, is the um, the be all and all of everything that's right. Oh, come on, greatest writer, the greatest writer, mm-hmm. the greatest <laughs> writer ever. Uh, Shakespeare wrote some very fine plays and some mm-hmm. excellent poetry. And, he wrote uh, some crap too. He also like, wrote some garbage.
0: Yeah, I recently rewatched Henry the Fourth, Part One and Part Two. Part One's great. Part Two is trash. <sighs> it's trash. It <laughs> has oh, no yeah. plot.
1: <laughs> uh, well, uh, I know I adore, I adore the work of Christopher Marlowe, but there are there are parts in Tamburlaine where I just I just want to smack him. So, will you hurry up? <laughs> um, no, uh, I've, I think part of it's part of it is is, is imagery, and part of it is the Victorians are in our way um, mm-hmm. here in Canada. When um, any, any time we're looking back at other writing, uh, at at writing which c- came before, we, we've got to deal with the Victorians and their and their impressions. Mm-hmm. Um, Marlowe's work was burned, was being burned a few years after he died. So even in his own time, he was he he was thought to be a little, a little just a little too dangerous. Mm-hmm. And of course, there were all the accusations of atheism and 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 and, and, pederastry and, and, and against him. So I, th- I think for a long time he he may have been thought to have been just just too too dangerous, would be, yeah. be because of these these rumors about his personal life. Um, Shakespeare and the 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 bardolatry thing, is it's, it's, it's like a ball rolling down a hill. It just keeps gaining and gaining strength. Yes. Um, yes. Some of Shakespeare's tragedies, I think, are some of the finest things that I've ever read in English yes. language. They're, they're, they're beautiful. They're moving. Um, Shakespeare, however, even in Lear, you, there's a sense of there's that clean, well-lit exit sign just to your left. You're going to get out of this play. Mm-hmm. You're going to cry your eyes out, but you're going to be okay. There's going to be some restoration of order. Merlot yes. does not give you that.
0: Hmm. And
1: mm-hmm. I think people really find that disturbing. Yeah, kind of frightening on, on a deep level. Yeah. Thomas Kidd wouldn't give it to you either. Mm-hmm. Um, Middleton, um, uh, the, the other writers, they, they, they kind of went back and forth.
0: Mm-hmm. But Shakespeare is maybe more accessible in a way because he promises that. Uh, I think so. Yeah. I think and that's a story, going story structure that
1: we recognize. Yes. Yes, yeah. and it's become, I was reading a really interesting essay the, the other day that it's become um, in, in in some way, in some ways in in, in our culture we um, a norm we 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 look at it as uh, monarch centered uh, one protagonist usually male because mm-hmm. on, only men were acting and um, and there's. That, could, that kind of narrative arc we, we, mm-hmm. see, we see especially in the tragedies so we, we look at that as the way to write the best way to write and it's yeah. only one way it's to a story. way to
0: write Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's so interesting though I mean, we've touched on it in several different ways in this conversation the whole idea of the canon whether mm-hmm. it's privileging Shakespeare over Marlowe or realism over fantasy mm-hmm. or adult over young adult fiction you know mm-hmm. we have all these unwritten rules about what what and what not to read and who can read what and, and what's, what's mm-hmm. literature and what's not yes. literature <laughs> Yes, indeed. (laughs) Which I think are very often limiting to just enjoying a a book and and not even just enjoying a book, but experiencing a book or learning Mm -hmm. something from it. Okay, well, this has been great. Thank you very much, ladies. It's been a very wide ranging and interesting (laughs) discussion, and I thank you for coming. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) And that wraps up my conversation with Michelle Butler Hallett and Christine Hennebury. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another Shelf Esteem podcast, a couple of more great guests, and some more great conversation about books. In the meantime, read a good book and build your Shelf Esteem.